0: Good afternoon. This is Bible Quest, the Wednesday edition, and I am Jeff Smelzer. And with me, we have a full compliment today. Chase Byers in Fishers, Indiana, and Joe um, Works in Elmira, New York. Uh, good afternoon, Joe. Hi, Jeff. How are you today? Doing well. I do remember your last name. And uh, Chase in Fishers, Indiana. Good afternoon, Chase. Hey, Jeff. How are you today? Good. So, last week you guys weren't here we missed you but drew de grotto and i handled uh handled it and uh we went through acts chapter 10 and acts chapter 10 is a watershed chapter because therein god makes it clear that he intends the gospel to be preached to gentiles generally and and kind of the floodgates are open Uh, and this involves the story of cornelius a roman soldier uh, to whom an angel appears and tells him to send to Joppa and fetch one Simon Peter, who will preach to him words where but he, about, he about, uh, handled, uh,
1: handled it. And,
0: well, that was interesting. Could you guys hear that?
1: Yeah, there's some feedback there, Drew, uh, right. in the background.
0: But anyway, so what happened, of course, was and, and what what Drew and I stressed last week, where there were four, um, there were four uh, signs. Uh, and from Peter's perspective, the order in which they occurred is, first of all, he's up on the housetop and he sees in a vision a sheet, as it were, of all different kinds of animals, clean and unclean, being lowered and a voice from heaven telling him, arise, kill and eat. And um, he protests and the voice tells him what God has cleansed, make not thou common. Um, and, and he's wondering what that meant. So that's the first thing. Then the messengers from Cornelius arrive and the Holy Spirit tells Peter, Go with them, nothing doubting, for I have sent them. So the second sign is the Holy Spirit telling him, "Go with these Gentiles back to see this Gentile centurion." And when he gets back to Caesarea and he meets Cornelius and all the people gathered there, Cornelius tells Peter uh, about the angel that had come to Cornelius and told him to send to Peter. So that's the third thing. And then the fourth thing is that while Peter's is preaching, uh, the Holy Spirit comes upon Cornelius and his household, and And you'll have to remember that traveling with Peter to the home of Cornelius were six other brethren, Jewish brethren who had not seen the vision that Peter had seen. And, uh, but now they see the Holy spirit come upon Cornelius and his household. And so that's the fourth thing. And so they all come to the conclusion. We can't forbid water um, who've received the Holy spirit just as we did. And so uh, Peter commands them to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, That's chapter 10. And Joe, you may have something you want to go back to and make sure that we talked about in connection with chapter 10, if we didn't, that we could, and then we'll move on into chapter 11, where we get to revisit it all.
1: I I suspect that you cover the the things that I would as well. It it is rather uh, uh, powerful that this was a a chapter for the Gentiles, but it was every bit a a chapter for the Jews to learn from. Um and as you mentioned, both Peter and then those who were with them uh, with him needed to learn that lesson. and that sort of segues into chapter eleven even
0: if I can if I can reiterate that because folks, if you' are listening to this as, as a podcast later on, if you're listening to us live, that is so critical. the the pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon Cornelius's uh, household was for the sake of Jews that Jews would understand that this would be assigned to the Jews. God telling them, I mean for these Gentiles to hear the gospel and receive it. Uh, It was not about, uh, it was not directly by virtue of the Holy Spirit coming upon them that they were saved. It was not God telling anybody they're already saved. It was simply, look, this is from God. God means for this to happen. And we did mention last week, Joe, we went over to Acts 15, where the issue of circumcision arises do these Gentiles have to be circumcised? And Peter goes right back to this incident described in Acts 10 and the Holy Spirit coming upon them to 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 make this point. God was bearing witness with them. And then he says, But their hearts were cleansed by faith. Um so good, good. Right. Chase, yeah. do you wanna do you wanna comment on anything that you would yeah. like to make sure got touched on in Acts 10 before we go on to Acts eleven?
2: Yeah. And it wasn't until later when I started doing more study in the epistles, just how foundational exactly what you guys have established is to understanding some of the things that are going to come up in the letters that Paul writes. And so this Jewish and Gentile relationship and understanding that we're saved by faith, through grace, by the blood of Jesus Christ, uh, that that is so foundational. And it's getting established this early in Acts. So uh, these chapters
1: really unlock some of the epistles that you read later. Really do. Really do. So. So maybe uh, just to 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 put an exclamation point there, if I may, you know, of of the thousands of things that happened to uh, the early disciples, we have in these twenty-eight chapters two events that are that are referred to in some detail three different times, which is really astounding. You you have Paul's conversion told for us on three separate occasions, the
0: and mind. then you have two and twenty-six
1: yeah and then you have here the uh the conversion of Cornelius uh in acts 10 acts 11 and acts 15 as well Mm -hmm. Uh, that just really like when you hear something that many times uh emphasized in a relatively short book describing the early church you know this is just the holy spirit sort of screaming you guys need to get this
0: yeah and those two things are actually related because of course it is paul whom the Lord uses especially to go to the Gentiles. He is the apostle of the uncircumcision or the apostle of the Gentiles. And that's what we see uh, beginning. Paul's not the one who goes to the house of Cornelius, but once the the doors are open to the Gentiles, it is Paul whom the Lord uses to go to the Gentile world and preach to Gentiles. Yeah, Amen. All right, guys. Well, then let's go into chapter 11 because now what happens is Peter goes back to Jerusalem, where there were some people who needed to be updated, uh, needed to be told what happened in Acts 10. They knew that Peter had gone in and eaten with Gentiles, and they were upset about that. One of you get us started in Acts 11.
2: The apostles and the brothers and sisters who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. When Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Let's stop Peter right to explain to them or let's not. <laughs> yeah. no, let's
0: stop fine. right there. <laughs> All right. So <clears throat> this was the perspective of even amongst the Jewish believers, their attitude toward uh, Gentiles at this point is reflected here. Um you might've thought that they would, Oh, great. Gentiles want to believe the same thing we did. No, it's you went in and ate with Gentiles and so Peter has to go through the story. In fact, the next verse is going to say, Peter began and expounded the matter unto them in order. And he's going to go through everything that we saw in chapter 10. And at the end of this uh, section, we'll get to verse 18. And the result will be these disciples, these brethren in, in Jerusalem, come to the conclusion, well, when they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying then to the Gentiles, also has God granted repentance unto life. But I think it would be worthwhile For us to go through the the whole thing again because it is so foundational so important let's see peter explaining it to him so let's jump in uh, let's jump in at verse five
2: yep i was in the town of joppa praying and i saw in a trance an object that resembled a large sheet coming down being lowered by its four corners from heaven And it came to me, and when I looked closely and considered it, I saw the four-footed animals of the earth, the wild beasts, the reptiles, and the birds of the sky. And I also heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, I said. For nothing impure or ritually unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a voice answered from heaven a second time, What God has made clean, you must not call impure. This happened three times, and everything was drawn up again into heaven.
0: So At that very moment, three... Well, let's stop there because that's the first sign, uh, at least from, from Peter's perspective, as he encountered the signs. That's number
2: one. Um, all right, let's go on from there. At that very moment, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. And the spirit told me to accompany them with no doubts at all. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we went into the man's house. Okay,
0: let's pause and he there. He reported
2: and to let's let's pause there because that's the second sign, the Holy
0: Spirit saying, mm-hmm. uh, "Don't make a distinction, distinction between
2: between, between a, a Gentile's house and a Jewish house." Right, going in, right, yeah, right.
0: and and uh, and again, um, the the Holy Spirit is telling Peter to go and not make a distinction. So that's the second sign. All right, get the third one.
2: Yeah, so in verse 13, 13, he reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, send to Joppa and call for Simon, who is also named Peter. He will speak a message to you by which you and all your household will be saved. Would you call that the third one?
0: That's the third one. That's the third one. And we might pause here before we go on to the fourth one and, and just notice that the angel had said to Cornelius, Peter will preach to you words whereby you'll be saved, not you'll have some mystical experience whereby you'll be saved, not the Holy Spirit will come on you and that'll be your salvation, but you're going to hear words whereby you'll be saved.
2: I think that's a helpful thing for you to point out, Jeff, just because of how much confusion there is today with the way people talk about the Holy Spirit and how it moves them or makes them feel, because even in the day where the Holy Spirit Was as active as it was in this way. I'm not saying the Holy Spirit isn't active today, but as it was in this way, it was never feelings that they had, but there were definitive things that the Holy Spirit was showing them. Uh, And so, uh, coming to Peter and saying this thing, you know, go with them, and then an angel and these other things. So there are definitive things,
0: you know. And and I want to come back to this, but let's go ahead and get the fourth. Let's go ahead and get the fourth sign, then I want to come back to the Holy Spirit in just a minute. Let's go ahead and get the fourth sign.
2: Um, So picking up in verse 15, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came down on them just as as it did on us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Um, If then God gave them the same gift that he also gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, how could I possibly hinder God? And when they heard this, they became silent and they glorified God saying, so then God has given repentance resulting in life even to the Gentiles. So, so there you have
0: the fourth sign and then the result, they get it now. Okay. So these four things, the vision that Peter saw, the fact that the Holy Spirit told him to go, not doubting Holy Spirit had sent these Gentile messengers, the fact that, um, he gets to Cornelius and Cornelius says, an angel told me to send for you. And, and you would preach words to me whereby I'd be saved. And then finally the Holy Spirit coming upon. Uh, Cornelius and his household while Peter's preaching to them. You put that all together and it becomes clear even to these brethren in Jerusalem, oh, this is God's plan. Um, so all right. Anything about those four signs that you want to talk about before we go back and talk about the Holy Spirit just a little bit? Nope. So the one thing I want to note here, when we talk about the significance of baptism, Peter commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Think back to Acts 2:38 when they said, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, Repent, be baptized. In the name of of jesus christ for the forgiveness of your sins um similar here but sometimes people who don't believe baptism is the point at which we pass from death into life that we pass from being outside of christ to in christ at the point at which we're buried with christ uh, they'll say well look here Cornelius was saved before he was baptized and we know that because he got the holy spirit in their minds if the holy spirit comes upon you then you're saved and and they are really too narrowly understanding the Holy Spirit, too narrowly defining the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, I, I understand the Holy Spirit to be deity, to be God. And, and the Spirit of God can do a lot of things. And you might think about, it, and it doesn't say the Holy Spirit specifically, but Caiaphas in John the 11th chapter prophesies um, that it's necessary for one to die rather than the whole nation, that the whole nation perish not. He means one thing by it. Um, he means let's kill Jesus so that the Romans won't take away our nation. And yet John explains to us he was prophesying and that he was high priest that year. I think we would we would rightly understand. I don't think anybody would do, deny this. That would be the work of the Spirit. That doesn't mean Caiaphas was saved because the Holy Spirit worked through him. Uh,
1: the, god god worked through uh Balaam's donkey i don't think we would classify that as him being saved A- am i am i misremembering that uh the uh king saul uh went about prophesying when he wasn't right with god that god used him in that situation uh am i misremembering that in first in, in first, first Samuel Samuel 10,
0: he does i'm not sure that's before he has um he has disobeyed God. Yeah, I've said there was another example, but maybe not. Uh, you, you There are a couple of times where that happens, and, and you've got me, Joe. Uh, if you come up with that, let us know. Sure. Okay, all right. Well, then are we ready to go on to the rest of chapter 11?
1: So uh, I'm wondering if, uh, and, and maybe you covered this last week, but did you all discuss um, the contrast between... Uh, peter and the book of jonah no we did not go so i just think you have this beautiful um uh contrast that is displayed here you know jonah was sent to the gentiles to save them and jonah didn't want to go so he goes down to what city to get on a boat to yeah. go oh, away to, oh to uh um, java Joppa, he goes, yeah. yeah, he goes to Joppa to go away from uh, the Lord. He, mm-hmm. He's resigning his commission, as prophet, and he, he's going to go away. Uh, the Lord ends up teaching him that he needs to, to come back,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: swallowed by a great fish, um, uh, and then eventually reluctantly goes and preaches to the salvation of the, the Ninevites. Here mm-hmm. you have uh, Simon Peter, who is identified in Matthew 16 as Bar-Jonah, uh, which is the idea of son of Jonah. Um, I, th- I think his dad's name was literally Jonah, but it may just be a uh, also a uh, another connection for us. A fisherman, uh, maybe that's just a coincidence um, uh, that you have this fisherman, but you have this Peter, the son of Jonah then, is sent by God from Joppa to uh, go and save the Gentiles, and he fulfills that mission um but again you see the 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 concept of the jews not wanting people all these children's books that paint jonah as not wanting to go to nineveh because he was afraid of the assyrians that's not at all in the text uh oh yeah the children's books are, are fairly common with that idea that jonah didn't want to go because he was afraid he didn't want to go because he hated them yeah uh and so uh but here you have jonah uh the son of jonah simon peter uh going and fulfilling the mission that jonah in the old testament should have wanted to do because it's the will of god
0: huh no i hadn't i had not thought about that thanks for sharing yep. chapter 11 verse 19 they therefore that were scattered abroad all right so now what luke who's writing the book facts does he he reminds us where he left off in discussing kind of the big picture of what's happening to the disciples Back in Acts chapter 8, uh, after Stephen had been stoned, it talked about the great persecution led by Saul that arose against the church. And it had mentioned in verse 1 that they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And then, of course, it had gone on and told us the story of Philip's work in Samaria. And then, of course, the, the story of Saul's conversion. So now here in chapter 11 and in verse uh, 19, it picks up back back up with the story of those who've been scattered abroad uh and it even says those that were um, the, the persecution that arose or the tribulation that arose about stephen stephen was uh stoned to death at the end of chapter seven they traveled as far as phoenicia and cyprus and antioch speaking the word to none say only to jews but there were some of them men of cyprus and cyrene who when they were come to antioch spoke unto the greeks also to the gentiles also preaching the lord jesus and the hand of the lord was with them and a great number that believed turned unto the lord all right anything you want to talk about there
1: uh maybe just a few hundred things in that text um uh, wow uh maybe first of all just emphasize what the text is emphasizing right At the end of verse 20, they are preaching the Lord Jesus. In verse Mm -hmm. 21, it's the hand of the Lord that was with them. Mm -hmm. At the end of verse 23, they were encouraged to continue with the Lord. Mm -hmm. Uh, At the end of verse 24, a great many people were added to the Lord. Mm -hmm. And then they are called Christians belonging to Christ. Uh, And so, you know, when conversions take place, true conversions take place, when people are converted to the Lord, not to a doctrine, not to a church, certainly not to a preacher.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, good. Uh, it's also cool to see Barnabas's
2: role in all of this. We last saw him in chapter four, whenever he was, um, or sorry, in chapter nine, we saw him whenever he took uh, Saul by the hand and stood up for him at the church of Jerusalem, but also in chapter four, where he got the name Barnabas for being a son of encouragement and it's no surprise that he's the guy that sent in to continue working with this church and to continue to encourage them um and so yeah, we'll see that in verse 22 surprising. yeah yeah did we not get down that far i'm sorry we didn't that's all right i know you you young people oh, have did. short
0: attention spans it's hard for you to keep up so.
2: <laughs> it's okay i forgive you <laughs>
0: i just heard, okay, boomer enough.
2: I, I just thought, you know, that's my <laughs> turn. <laughs> uh, earlier, I said old head. So. Old head. Old head. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. All right.
0: Okay. So I,
1: th- I think we've talked about this before, but it might be good to just refresh our memory. Uh, the New King James used the word Hellenist in verse 20.
0: Okay.
1: Um, I think, did did yours say Greeks?
0: Yeah. Okay. So this is interesting. So tell me what you think about this, because I've it's always been a puzzle to me. Why, if it's if they're only speaking to, uh, I, I somehow verse twenty just doesn't. I, I can't get my head around verse twenty quite right. So talk to us about that.
1: So, so my understanding is that the word for Hellenist is the idea of Jews who are living amongst the Greeks, um, uh, and so they're they are maybe living more like the the Greeks, but they are of Jewish heritage, uh, of Jewish lineage um uh, but they're living the greek culture if you will um maybe somebody can can help me understand that better then, if that's not correct
0: no i, I think that is correct that, that that sometimes luke uses uh hellenists to talk about jews who because they were living amongst the the greeks maybe even had tended to adopt some aspects of greek culture more so than palestinian jews had um and maybe spoke the Greek language more, more as a first language or more prominently than say Aramaic or something like that. Um, part of the problem here is we actually have a, a little bit of a difficulty uh, because of a textual variance. Some manuscripts will say Hellenists and some will say Greeks. Uh, they're very similar. In Greek, it would be Hellenistas or Hellenas. Um, both words are referencing Greek culture in one way but one uh if i'm thinking right would be more taken to be actual greeks and the other would be taken to refer to jews who as you say were living in the greek world and adopting greek culture
1: which which while understanding the word hellenist in the way that i described it it seems like there is a different contrast that's being made here at the end of verse 19 he's that some of them were only speaking to the jews but verse 20 some came speaking to the hellenist and then as we look at this group it seems as if they are a gentile group yeah um uh, and so it seems like maybe that word hellenist is that that other rendering that the other word there that maybe helps to with the the variants um uh, perhaps that's the, the the stronger uh more accurate uh translation there
0: i it, it's easier for me to, to understand the text if it is talking about um, it's it's I when I read it in English, I want to assume it's it's talking about Gentiles, right? Um, that and 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 if I'm remembering right, that is in the oldest oldest manuscripts, but it's also less well attested. Fairly early on, the Hellenistus uh, starts popping up in the text. I'll take a moment to revisit that issue a little bit while you guys take us on down. Um, if you want to start there in verse uh 21 and and get us to Barnabas's interaction
2: with this group. So the Lord's hand was with them and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. News about them reached the church in Jerusalem and they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. So as Jeff pointed out, I spoiled it and got ahead of myself, but in chapter 9 that's where Barnabas was left off. He was in Jerusalem in chapter 9 and um It's just really cool to see his role isn't it joe that he was an encourager and so in verse 23 he arrived and saw the grace of god and he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the lord with devoted hearts for he was a good man full of the holy spirit and of faith and large numbers of people were added to the lord and so no doubt god is working through barnabas i love that luke slows down it seems like and it would make sense to me that Luke was a personal friend of Barnabas's. So he takes a second to highlight some qualities of Barnabas as a brother. Um, He was an encourager. He spoke to them about remaining true to the Lord with devoted hearts. And of course, it's cool to think about these people because they were persecuted. I mean, the whole reason they ended up in Antioch is that they had been scattered as a result of, of people beating them because they were Christians. And so, Barnabas still feels the need to tell them: stay true to the Lord, stay devoted to Him. Um, So, yeah, what do you got, Joe?
1: So I'm just always impressed. I this one phrase just—it's in larger print in my Bible. It seems like um, uh, because it it just is so overwhelming to me, where it says that Barnabas, when he came, he saw the grace of God. You know what? If you were going to Take a, a box of crayons and a, and a piece of paper, and you were told to draw, you know, make a drawing of the grace of God. What, what would you draw? You know, what, what does the, he's, it was something that he saw with his eyes. Well, what he saw were converted souls. What he saw were people that, that now belonged to, uh, to the Lord. And so it's a reminder to me that when I see other Christians, I need to see the grace of God. And that's gonna demand that I'm gonna treat them differently. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm I'm gonna be more careful with the way that I um, react to them or, or act toward them. Uh, I need to have the, the attitude and the reaction that Barnabas here does. When we see converted souls, when we see people that by the blood of Jesus, they are saved and have a relationship with God, that should encourage us. The result of that was he saw the grace of God and he was glad. Um, you know, that that should be our reaction when we when we come to assemblies, you know, when when we meet with brethren, uh, we, we should look around the room and, and that should just cause us joy.
2: That's a great point. And then, then of course, in verse 24, Luke tells us that Barnabas himself was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Um, and so it's no surprise that he's having that kind of reaction to right what the Lord has done in Antioch and large numbers of people were added to the Lord. That phrasing I think is very intentional in the book of Acts. Uh, You see it at the end of Acts two, whenever it talks about, and the Lord was adding to their number daily. Um, The Lord is the one that does the adding to, to Jesus. And then Barnabas decides he needs help. I love that. that. That is one of my favorite parts of the book of Acts. So in verse 25, Then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul. I mean, the work was going so well in Antioch that Barnabas leaves it so that he can go get Saul. I mean, you have to be super overwhelmed to where you just have to walk away and go get someone to bring it back. And in verse 26, he found him and he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught large numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. And guys, I I think all three of us have experienced that in some level or another. Um, You know, Jeff, I think about your work in and in in the Northeast. Um, I think about what brought you there, uh, I'd imagine, was the the fields were white for harvest. There were opportunities there. And so you wanted to go there. I know that that was the case for Joe as he worked in Fairlawn outside of New York City. And then the same thing in Elmira, where he's at now. And that was true of me when I moved to Harrisburg and when I'm here at Fishers as well. People were excited. You know, this is where the conversions are. This is where people are wanting to know about the Lord. And so we flock there, we go there, we go to help. Um, that's the kingdom mindset. I think you're supposed to learn from these verses.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and just geographically uh, going from Antioch to Tarsus, he's just, Barnabas is wrapping around the northeastern corner of the Mediterranean Sea and goes up to Tarsus, gets Saul. He's still known as Saul here in Luke's account. He hasn't been called Paul yet and, and brings him back to Antioch. And they are there, For a whole year, Luke makes a point of saying in verse 26, working together, teaching many people. And then one of you noticed, uh, oh, Joe, you mentioned just a few moments ago, we get to verse 26, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Now, there's a lot of discussion about this, and I don't pretend to know all of the dynamics of how that came about and why and at whose instigation. I will say this. Up until this point, um, we've seen the disciples referred to as the way or as the disciples mm-hmm. later on Saul will talk about the way which they call a sect when you think of a sect think of a sector of a circle you're talking about a piece of a larger thing and in in the minds of not only Jews but in the minds of the world generally as long as the the body of Christ was made up of Jews Um, it was easy to look at it as just another sect of the Jews. You had the Pharisees, you had the Sadducees, and now you've got the Nazarenes, you could say. You've got those of the way um, of Jesus. What are they? Well, it's another sect of the Jews. They're followers of this Jewish guy named Jesus. But now, now in Antioch, you've got Gentiles becoming Christians. And... You can no longer talk about this as just a bunch of Jews or a sect of the Jews. And so, well, what is it that they all have in common? If it's not Jewishness, what is it? They're all followers of Christ. They're all trying to be Christ-like. They are Christians. Now, you may have some other thoughts and other factors that may have entered into that, but it seems to me that that's at least part of it.
1: No, I, I think you're spot on, and and this is uh, interesting. For as often as we use the word Christian nowadays, it's only used three times uh, in the scriptures, right? Um, uh, here, Acts twenty-six, yeah, first here, Peter first, four.
2: first Timothy. Oh yeah, 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 yeah you're Peter right.
1: Uh, and so um, it's it's it, it is a significant word. There's nothing wrong with us using it often, um, but it was a special word.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, And it is interesting, too, like it specifies that they were first called Christians in Antioch. I think the implication is, is that they're going to become known as Christians, obviously, in other places. And so I think it's safe to assume that there were ways that they were identifying or calling themselves other than Christian, probably. Um, The way, like you said, but there's probably some others that we just didn't know um, and aren't recorded for us. So it is, I, I think, I think some people read into it more than what they should. I've heard some people suggest that it was a it was like a, a bad name or like a name that was given to them by the world. And I don't understand where any of that comes from. But I think it is just as simple as they needed a way to identify themselves. Like, who are what is this group of people meeting over here? Well, they're the Christian. They follow the Christ, you know, Christians. That That's what they
1: are. Um, so anyways. Yeah. Yeah, I think that some people get that from First Peter. If anyone suffers as a Christian, you know, so because you have the name Christian attached to you, you're suffering. So those who are causing the suffering are looking down upon that word. But but I, I agree with everything you said, I but I suspect that is where at least some people get that. Then you might want to read into, or people might read into Agrippa's, almost you persuade me to be Christian. Was he being sarcastic or was he being truthful? You know, and so you can sort of create a, a teaching about the word Christian being negative, but you have to have a couple of assumptions along the way there. And, and, and the fact is, it may just be that both of those are true, you know, like it is today. We call ourselves Christians, and, and, and we, uh, we, we readily and wholeheartedly adopt that terminology while people of the world will sneer and jeer, oh, look at those Christians. Right. So it, it may just be what the way it is today is the way it was then, perhaps.
0: Good. Just because somebody uses it as a pejorative does not necessarily mean that it originated as a pejorative or is always a pejorative, but on the part of those who are Christians. Exactly. So. Yep. All right. So um, yeah, go ahead.
1: Um well now I have Oh, uh, you were going to talk about the the Hellenist word. Did you come back on that or no?
0: Yeah, no. What well, well, I think what we said a few minutes ago is right. I went back and did look at it, um, and the the only thing there's a, quite a discussion about it. The only thing that I we that I could add in brief here is that the the word that would mean uh, Greek-speaking Jew or Hellenist is actually not a word that is widely known. Um, in ancient Greek, it's really not a word apparently that is known prior to the New Testament. Let's see if I can find that line here real quickly. Let's um, uh, see here. Oh, so this word is found nowhere else in previous Greek literature or in Hellenistic Jewish literature. And in the New Testament, it occurs only here and in Acts 6.1 and in Acts 9.29. So that's part of the problem the the you might think that the manuscript evidence favors uh, this word that we think would mean Greek speaking jew but there's not a whole lot of a uh, whole lot of examples of its usage, uh, only three in the New Testament and not much prior to that to give a whole lot of foundation to the idea that it has to mean this and not that. Um, so that's just a little additional information okay um let's go on let's start down in Acts chapter 11 verse 27. now in these days there came down prophets from Jerusalem and, the, and Antioch and I always point out when I'm having Bible studies with people reading through the book of Acts um, when you come down from Jerusalem that doesn't matter what direction you're you're going uh, you're going down from Jerusalem and when you go to Jerusalem, doesn't matter whether you're traveling north or south or east or west you're always going up to jerusalem and so the fact is antioch is north of jerusalem but prophets came down from jerusalem unto antioch uh even though they're going north and there stood up one of them named agabus and signified by the spirit that there should be a great famine over all the world which came to pass in the days of claudius claudius one of the roman emperors and you know, I should have his reign in, in, off in the top of my head, but if I I, I do remember he was reigning in the forties.
1: for 41 to fifty-four. Okay. Just All off right. the top of my head, or or in what I have written in my margin of my Bible.
0: Uh, hey, that counts. Um <laughs> he'll get mentioned again over in Acts 18. Um, and then it says uh verse 29: the disciples, every man according to his ability. So these are the disciples in Antioch, these many of whom are Gentiles, um, determined to send relief unto the brethren that dwelt in Judea, uh, which also they did, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas
2: and Saul. Uh, sorry, Joe. It looks like you no, have no, something no, you go to ahead. about this section. You go ahead. I could I could really probably take us off the rails on this, uh, so you can stop me, both of you can, if you don't want to. <laughs> so this st- this whole Agabus, a prophet thing actually really fascinates me. Yeah, because help me make a list of the other prophets in the New Testament that we know by name. you got John the Baptist. You've got Philip, whose daughters were prophetesses mm-hmm. a little bit later. Mm-hmm. But like what other prophets do we know by name? Anna, I guess. I'm, I don't know. Oh, yeah. Someone else. Yeah.
1: yeah. In chapter 13, there's going to be a few that will be mentioned, uh, the other prophets and that- teachers. 13.1. Uh, okay. But not many. So, so I was doing some
2: study and work with a friend of mine who followed some of the teachings and ministry of a guy who was a, a proclaimed prophet named William Branham uh, in the 50s and 60s. And this was a point I brought up to my friend because this is, seems to be true throughout the centuries that in some church or denomination, there will be a guy who's a prophet mm-hmm. who has a following and has a you know uh teaching and a ministry but i made the point to my friend that the prophets you read about even in the new testament they didn't really have a following or ministry other than john the baptist but that was very clear and i used agabus as an example he comes up two times in the book of acts he comes up here and then he comes up in acts 21 when again he comes up from judea and he tells paul if you go into jerusalem you're going to get arrested. That's we don't read happen.
0: about the Agabeans.
2: Right. That's my point. Is He He is just a mouthpiece for God. There was no following that he had. And so anyways, I, I doubt that's the direction you wanted to, me to probably go with this. But that has stood out to me more and more that there are a lot of people out there claiming to be prophets, but they're not even doing what the prophets in the New Testament were doing.
0: No, I think that's a, that point has merit in a world where... You, as you say, we'll have these little movements, these little sects that'll pop up, and they're they they they're almost cultic in a in a way. If if we just talk, define cultic as uh, fixated on one charismatic leader who's identified as a prophet, and everybody he he becomes the standard, um, and and you do not see that
2: with Agabus. I think we got lucky that Luke even said his
1: name, like because it, it, that really had nothing to do with it. And so uh, you even mentioned that you know the one exception to that would be John the Baptist. And yet, what did John the Baptist do with his the, the following him?
0: He pointed uh, the price. Yeah. I must de- decrease. He must increase. I'm Christ not increase. To-. Yeah, right.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, not not quite what you hear from the prophets. Uh, modern day prophets.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, right. Ah, it's a good point, Chase. I appreciate that.
1: So you mentioned yeah. Acts 11 here, and then in Acts 21 you know uh can you imagine being in the congregation somewhere and you know you're you're looking down you're you're outside the church building and and here comes agabus walking up the street what's going to be your reaction oh bad news yeah Yeah. oh this guy oh that okay, something's bad, it's about ready to happen. You know, he's bad news agabus, you know, he comes, (laughs) you know, know, here's this famine or in Acts 21, you know, here's what's going to happen to Paul. You know, it's just like, oh boy, this guy just can't say anything good. But in actuality, he is a good news man. You know, he, he is helping individuals in both of the situations. And yet people may very well perceive him as being, Oh him again! Oh no! You know, uh, you know the word "agabus" means locust. You know, you sort of, really? Yeah, you sort of get this Does impression. It? Yeah, you, you get this. It's a Hebrew term. Uh, it comes from the word "locust," where you think about the locust invasions and and that sort of thing. It may just help us to remember the story a little bit better. You know, it, it, it's like, oh no, here here comes this that's going to be devouring, or you know, this like this famine and so forth um uh, yeah
0: how about if you got a guy named locust coming and telling you there's a famine coming
1: <laughs> exactly you know that's a pretty ominous uh scene that you have before us and yet everything about him is is helpful for those who will listen to what he has to say
2: excellent yeah and i'm sure jeff you also might want to say a word or two on just the impact that this is going to have in some of Paul's preaching trips as he's doing some fundraising for this particular case. Um, It's just really cool to see that across uh, the epistles, even as where you can kind of deduce some of that. Um, But Paul saw this as an important opportunity to unite the Jews and the Gentiles, like what we saw in chapter 10 and 11, um, because these are going to be Jewish brethren who are hurting as a result of this famine And yet Paul is going around and hitting up Gentile churches to send money uh, to the Jewish churches because they need to see each other as one and united together. Uh, And so what the Lord is really good at is using unfortunate, sad things as a way to unite the brethren and for them to learn to love each other. And that is a theme we've seen through Acts. There's something bad that happens, but God is able to use it for good.
0: Yeah, you're alluding to, I think, what Paul describes in Romans 15, when later on, further along in the, in the story that's told by Luke in the book of Acts, there's again an opportunity for Gentile believers in Gentile parts of the world to send money to help uh, provide relief for the needy among the poor Jewish saints back in Jerusalem. And Paul says this in verse 27 of Romans 15, yea, and it has been their good pleasure the good pleasure of these Gentile Christians uh, to send this money. And they're debtors they are. They actually have an obligation. They're indebted to their Jewish brethren. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, pause there, back in Romans 11, Paul talked about the olive tree and the fatness of the root that would be the the blessings that, that God has provided. In, in his people, Israel, but ultimately in the spiritual Israel. And he talks about Gentiles being grafted into that to partake of that. They're grafted into the kingdom of God. They become a part of God's people to partake of the same blessings that had been promised through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So if, it, well, if Gentiles have been made partakers of the spiritual things of the Jews, they owe it to them also to minister or serve unto them in carnal things. So it's basically just put simply, Look, you, you guys received the gospel from the Jewish people for who, through whom God had or through whom which whom God had used to bring the Christ into the world. And, and now you have an opportunity to return a favor to them by providing for their physical needs. Is that what you had in mind, Chase?
2: Yep, that's exactly what I had in mind.
0: All right, good. Final thoughts, we've got just a minute and a half or so left here. Anything you want to do? I don't think it, it's worth our while to go on into Acts 12 unless you want to just take a well, moment and set up Acts chapter 12 or if there's something else you want to say here.
2: Verse 30, they did this sending it to the elders by means of Barnabas and Saul. When money is used and transferred in the New Testament, it's done above board. Um, and I think that's a really important principle to see. Paul and Second Corinthians 8 and 9 uh, will kind of point that out as well.
0: All right. Very good. All right. Well, folks, that'll be our webcast for today. We thank you for joining us as usual. And um, Lord willing, we'll be back next week and we'll get started in Acts 12 where we're going to talk about uh, the first apostle being killed and then Peter being arrested and what comes of all of that. So we hope you'll join us again next week.